Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter 2.0, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. I'm your host, Sean McCrane. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, come to you. We thank you for all you do. You've kept us going for so many years and grateful for our uh, volunteers who spend the time to keep this going and get it out there. We pray for those who are watching and the things that we talk about will be of benefit. And we pray for next week when we announce the big announcement to our audience and uh, pray that you're be behind it now and then and whenever we uh, pursue it. And we're just so grateful for ha to have this opportunity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a gander at a ministry outreach to the Mormons that we fully support. Great is his glory and endless his priesthood. Ever and ever the keys he will hold. Who would you say this is referring to? Jesus Christ? Naturally, we would assume this is a tribute to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sadly, however, this is a quote from an article entitled, Reoccurring Themes of President Hinckley, featured in the Ensign Magazine, June 2000, page 18. And it is referring to Joseph Smith, not Jesus Christ. But we don't worship Joseph Smith. We only look up to him as a great prophet. Elders, that line came from the Mormon hymn, Praise to the Man, which also includes the following lyrics. Jesus anointed that prophet and seer. Blessed to open that last dispensation, kings shall extol him, and nations revere. Long shall his blood, referring to Joseph Smith's blood, which was shed by assassins, plead unto heaven while the earth lauds his fame, again referring to the fame of Joseph Smith. Are you questioning some of the harsh statements in this episode? Examine the evidence for yourself. Click on the link below and go to our website, TalkingToMormons.com. Scroll down to the article resources section to review actual documentation by Joseph Smith and others who have examined this topic. Our goal is not to bash the LDS Church and its members, but to expose topics from a different perspective. Please expand your viewpoint and examine the LDS Church from a biblical perspective. Watch the full episodes on Talking to Mormons on YouTube channel. Check out the description below to learn more about it and Heart of the Matter. Uh, so just keep checking us out. We're going to keep pushing it because it's a great resource on Mormonism. Last week I mentioned that in 2019 I am hoping to host an event where we gather together spokespeople, hopefully experts in Calvinism, Arminianism, Mormonism, Catholicism, Orthodoxy, anyone else in the Christian arena, to kind of step forward here in the church studio and give their Sunday's best, a two-hour presentation that uh, appeals to why their approach to the faith is superior. And I need you guys to write emails and send messages to people who can represent these different faith stances and get them to uh, volunteer to come and show up and give their best approach to the faith. My contention is that at the end of the day, after everybody's recorded two hours of why thisism or thatism or this orthodoxy or that is superior, that when you analyze the data, uh, you will find that they fail in comparison to what, that, to what we would uh, provide as well. Not because we've authored something new, not authored nothing new, because God authored something new. And uh, I think that they all, in some way or another, present a twisted version of it. So 
uh, those errant versions do help people to know the Lord in some degree or another, but they, in the end, are fails relative to what God has already done. I, uh, I don't know if we're going to get any takers for this. It's an open invitation. I told you last week that I've actually called or texted uh, James White and said, come back and, and represent Calvinism. You're the expert, it seems, of all the different Calvinists. Haven't heard anything. Um, I think they're afraid of being exposed. I really do. I think they're afraid of how um, badly their approach will sound by comparison. Um, so if we don't get the representative experts that I'm hoping for, then I'm just going to present myself what the different things represent and uh, as if I was the expert and then compare and contrast those man-made views to uh, what we understand God as having done. Understand, I respect their right to believe and do uh, what they do, but, and I respect their right as believers and as humans, uh, but this, the point is to prove the failure of their views uh, compared to the approach of what the Word of God happens to say. So remember, this is for 2019. Help us out, you guys who watch. We've got a number of viewers who watch. You know someone who's an expert in, uh, in uh, Calvinism or Mormonism. Or, and just say, hey, there's an open invitation to be part of a Friday-Saturday uh, kind of conference here. And we'll uh, try to help support people to be here and, you know, housing and food and stuff like that. But we want to get the best people uh, giving their Sunday best. Next week, our big announcement, one we have been uh, talking about and waiting for, working on actually for a number of years. Please tell your friends and even our enemies to tune in. It's so very important, and it is going to be a radical uh, adventure for all involved. So I was on uh, my social media uh, outlet the other day and ran into a woman who I don't personally know, and when she... Uh, she was immediately uh, condemnatory and accusatory toward my person. And what happened was somebody said to Sam Young on Facebook, Sam, you should listen to Sean McCraney's Bible teachings. And I got a notice that my name was mentioned on my phone. Ding. So I look at it. And then I look right below that. Sean McCraney is a heretic. That's what it said. And so I confronted her through on, on that thing, and I said, why would you say that publicly about me without first coming to me and, um, and saying, this is why I think you're a heretic, and I'm going to expose you unless you give me the right answers or whatever. And, but she just got more and more angry. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. She first said, um, go crawl back under the rock that you came from. And this is just someone I don't know, just right there. And then I'm like, do I know you? What is your problem? Jen is her name. And then she said, oh, well, I guess you don't have a television show to lose anymore. You know, hee hee. And, uh, and, but the thing that bugs me uh, is that she said several times thereafter that I am a cult leader. That I'm a cult leader. And uh, I may sue her for defamation for that. Just kidding. Um, but before we make next week's announcement for the ministry, I want to address this statement head on that I am a cult leader, that this is a cult, and, uh, or that we're cultish in, in whatever way. 
and it's truly unfounded and unfair, and it's the worst thing you can say to somebody about somebody who's in ministry or in the faith, that they're a cult leader, because once that's out, it's really hard to get it back. I mean, everybody hears that, and people who don't want to go to the time of trouble to understand, they just assume it's true. And so then you lose all those people, and they know that when they uh, defame somebody with that phrase, they're a cult leader. Because we're going to, of what we're going to reveal next week uh, on the one-year anniversary of uh, HOTM 2.0, and because we know that there are going to be some people who will take this announcement once that it's out and really use it uh, against me in some ways, I think it's really important to address this title of cult leader. Uh, and uh, there are several cult leader experts in the world that I've consulted in different books that we presented over the years. And I'm gonna appeal to their knowledge and research to first establish what a cult leader is and, and then what cults will do. And then as I do this, I will also defend myself against the charge. And the following um, 50 statements are gleaned from Psychology Today, Joe Navarro, August 2012. And he represents most of the descriptions other experts in cults take uh, to describe a cult leader. So uh, I am going to openly, I'm going to liberally uh, accept anything that assigns to me. I really try to do some assessment here. Um, so, but I think some of the things that I'm going to admit to are present in anybody. But so you can see how much of a cult leader I am. I'm going to assign one point for the 50 questions. Every time I'm guilty, I'm going to assign a point to it. And then at the end of the 50, you can say, well, you got 49, John, you're in trouble, or whatever it might be, right? So uh, just to be safe, I'm going to score it this way, and I'm going to be very liberal with it because the wording here is really tricky. So let's go. Number one, he has a grandiose idea of who he is and what he can achieve. Uh, this is partially true. One point. Uh, it, it, I mean, like many people, though, um, I think I play a role in the world, and that idea in and of itself, if someone thinks that they play a role or they have a purpose in this life, that could be considered grandiose. So I do not, however, believe this role makes me superior or special to anybody else, nor is it uh, an idea that's grandiose in the sense of what the world considers grandiose. You know, if you see what I drive and you see things like how I kind of just live my life, it's not grandiose at all. So in that sense, but I'll take a point because I do believe that there is something that I'm supposed to do. Number two, he or she is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, or brilliance. There's some catchphrase words in that. Uh, preoccupied is one, and unlimited success is another. So is power, and so is brilliance. Not really. Uh, in fact, I, I've never sought for the ministry to be successful in the sense that it brings power. Um, never, or unlimited success. You want that, but I've never been out for that. We've always been out for, um, we're going to do what we think is right come hell or high water, no matter the cost. That's very different from how people who are trying to build empires work. Number three, demands blind, unquestioned obedience. No, absolutely not true. Uh, I don't think anyone should obey me. I've never said you need to obey me. 
and I hate the thought of even saying number four, uh, requires excessive admiration from followers and outsiders. Uh, not true. I, I cringe at um, compliments. You know, you like them, but they're also embarrassing. And so I feel uh, uh, they should all be pointed to him because without him, I would be a mess. So, uh, but uh, it says, I don't, mind, I, I, I don't mind respect. I like courtesy and respect but I don't want special compliments, attentions, gifts, or entitlements. Ha number five has a sense of entitlement, expecting to be treated special at all times. At all times, no. But I'm going to take a point on this one because uh, I do expect special treatment when I get on a JetBlue flight. <laughs> it's because we have spent so much money on that company that when I show up at JetBlue, I feel entitled, damn it. I really do. And it really bugs me when they don't treat me special. I, I get kind of offended and mad. So, and it's just the honest truth. I mean, we've probably paid for half of an airplane for that stupid company uh, for, to fly back and forth all these times. I'm sorry, Lord. I know I should be humble at all times and not expect entitlements, but I mean, dang it. <laughs> number six is exploitive of others by asking for their money and that of relatives putting them in financial risk as a stockbroker years back yes i did do that um, but not in ministry and not in and around or outside of it i'm highly sensitive to money matters in the faith and i believe it's my duty to learn to trust the lord for supplying so that is not the case is arrogant and haughty in his behavior and attitude. Now, this is up to opinion, uh, because I know I can be, I have been, I certainly can look that way when I'm engaged with somebody in a discussion. So I try to humble myself before God in those times. I'm not taking a point because uh, those who know me, uh, who love me and know me personally, I don't think they would say I'm arrogant. I think they might say I can be a, a jackass but I don't think they would say I'm just arrogant. And so I, I, that's the way I think. Maybe they're laughing right now. In fact, two of them are laughing right now. Uh, has an exaggerated sense of power, entitlement, that allows him to bend rules and break the laws. This is a double-edged sword because I don't think I have any sense of power at all. I'm innocent of that charge, but I have such a natural tendency to break the law. I mean, if that's what cult leaders do... If they do it because they think I'm powerful and I can break the law, that's not what motivates me. What motivates me is I think some laws are stupid and so I'm going to break them. And I just have to admit it. When the speed limit is 20 miles an hour on a desert road, I'm going faster. I just have to, you know, so I'll take a point for that. Uh, take sexual advantage of members of the sex, of the sect, the sex, or cult. Uh, only of defenseless animals. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but I will admit, I have to admit, there is a temptation. When you're involved in ministry, which I've faced in the past, that when you get unsolicited attentions from females, uh, it can lead you to temptation and ideas of seduction. 
So, uh, but the description says, takes sexual advantage. I am not taking a point on that. I don't do that. I haven't done it, and I'm not going to do it. Number 10, sex is a requirement with adults and sub-adults as part of a ritual or rite. No. Put on your gown, please. <laughs> Our audience is getting real loose here for some reason. Uh, Number 11 is hypersensitive to how he is seen or perceived by others. I used to be very, and I think there's, there's some justification for that. You know, when you are getting hit from every side for positions, especially when you're on live TV, you know, I used to be really sensitive about insults and attacks, and I still can be that way. Not so much anymore, but because I still can be, I'm taking a point. Publicly devalues others as being inferior, incapable, or not worthy. No. But I do tease people who uh, set themselves up to be teased. If someone thinks that they can step up and like run the show, I will go back and forth with them. That's not devaluing their person or saying they're inferior. It's just saying, you're gonna be funny, I'll be funny too. And maybe that hurts some people's feelings but uh, if someone wants attention, I give them the attention they seek. That's how I put it. Number 13, makes members confess their sins publicly, subjecting them to ridicule or humiliation while revealing exploitable weaknesses of the penitent. Uh, Jim Jones did this ad nauseum. Uh, never, ever, not even close. Has ignored the needs of others, including biological, physical, emotional, and financial needs. We try to help everybody we can. We're not very effective at it, but we want to help people in those areas. Is frequently boastful of accomplishments. I hope I'm not ever boastful of, but the key word is frequently. And so I'll boast of some things that I'm proud of in the ministry or I'm proud of in my family because I think they're worth mentioning as a means to show God in people's lives. But this is always related to him and not too much with personal accomplishments. Number six, he needs to be the center of attention, does things to distract others to ensure that he or she is being noticed by arriving late, using exotic clothing, over <laughs> over dramatic speech, or by making theatrical entrances. Uh, don't think so. I did use my hairstyles to uh, attract attention, but uh, it worked too. Cult leaders, you know, if you look at pictures of them, they, they always get freakishly weird uh, about like Nehru collars, all white clothes, weird jewelry kind of stuff. That's what they're talking about. So not me. Has insisted, number 17, in always having the best of everything. House, car, jewelry, clothes, even when others are relegated to lesser amenities or clothing. No, uh, and, uh, but I do enjoy a nice seat on the plane. Uh, always coach, though, by the way. Number 18, doesn't seem to listen well to the needs of others. Communication is usually one way in the form of dictation. Uh, I don't do that unless I, I can be, if I'm in an argument, I cannot listen. Uh, I try hard to listen. I'm not going to take a point on this one. I do try to listen. Uh, number eight, 19, haughtiness, grandiosity, and the need to be controlling is part of his or her uh, personality. I, I hate controlling people. I don't hate pe controlling people, but I hate to be controlled. 
and, uh, and I, I just don't like it at all. It's not a trait I appreciate in someone else, and I hope I am not controlling of anybody's, well, I'll try to influence sometimes, but not controlling. Behaves, number 20, as though people are objects to be used, manipulated, or exploited for personal gain. Now, listen, the, I can be guilty of this because in ministry, I believe people can give and do what they want to do. I don't give a lot of compliments and praise constantly for that, simply because I believe they're doing it for God. If I'm making them think they're doing it for me, then you're manipulating them, like a cult leader would. And you just lavish all kinds of attention on them because they're volunteering. So I am considered a little bit aloof sometimes for what people do, and they can feel like they're not appreciated. Uh, but I do, you know, let them know I appreciate them and stuff, but I, I can see how, I'm not going to take a point on it, because... Uh, I don't get angry if people stop volunteering. I might get a little personal hurt if they leave the ministry or the church, but uh, I, I don't hate them and I don't malign them for leaving or going to another church, so I'm not going to take it. When criticized, he tends to lash out with rage, not just anger. I've done it as a teen, yes. Uh, as an adult, yes. As a believer, not as much and in the last 10 years, uh, rarely. Anyone who criticizes or questions him is called an enemy. Uh, I'm guilty of thinking that in the past. You know, I will take a point on this because I'm just going to take a point. I, I think that um, I have to grow in that area that I see, I naturally see some people as becoming an enemy who criticize me. But I think that has to do with a lot of background, but I'll take a point. Refers to non-members or non-believers in him as an enemy. I'm not taking a point for that one. I don't, people don't agree with me and I don't see them as enemies. Acts imperious at times, that's like an emperor, uh, not wishing to know what others think or desire. I am guilty on many fronts of that. I sometimes, especially if someone is voicing an opinion that's not educated, that they just say, well, when it comes to the flood, I think and they've never really done any research. It's just, I think sometimes I can act imperious and like, I don't care what you think. I want to hear what your facts are, not what you think. And I'm guilty on that, so I got to take a point. Believes himself to be omnipotent, not at all. I have little power. Has magical answers, solutions to problems. Some people, uh, uh, James White says that I'm a walking contradiction. Uh, I think Jesus was a walking contradiction. I think the Bible's a walking contradiction. So uh, uh, magical answers. Some people might think that I'm pulling them from my head, but I don't see it as that. I'm not going to take it. It's superficially charming. I can be uh, superficially charming and glib, uh, but with God as my witness in ministry and with, I try very hard not to be charming for charming's sake so that I can get people to like me. I have more so tried to be direct and truthful so people will like instead what we teach rather than the man. And so I'm not going to take one for that. Habitually puts down others to, uh, as inferior so that he can feel superior. Uh, not habitually, very rarely, I think. Has a certain coldness or aloofness about him that makes other people's worry about who this person really is or whether they really know him or not. Yeah, I, I do that, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I don't let many people in on the real me. It's true. Uh, and the reason I do that is because I've been hurt in the past by people. I don't trust people. When you grow up and you're hurt by people, you kind of build these defenses up. 
So I have to take a big point on that one. I do remain aloof. They don't know the underbelly, which is really an unsightly scene of Sean McCraney. So, and it's just the way it is. The people who really know and love me do, but everybody else, they'd get a sense that I stand off. I'm accused of it. It's true, but it doesn't mean I'm a cult leader. Uh, is deeply offended when there are perceived signs of boredom being ignored or being slighted. Not deeply offended, but I have to admit a yes to that. But it's not for the reasons you think. I don't think I'm powerful. You listen to me. I think this is really important for you to hear. And you are sitting there playing with your paper cup and scratching your stomach <laughs> like a bear and getting up every five seconds. Uh, that is offensive to me, but not because I'm the powerful teacher, but because I think they should listen so that they can learn. That is really what motivates me for that. So I'm not going to take a point. Treat others with contempt and arrogance. I do treat some people with contempt. Absolutely. Not, uh, but it's not the humble and the broken and the lost. It's those people who are predatory or arrogant themselves. And so I'm guilty. I got to take a point. Is con Thank you. Is constantly assessing uh, for those who are a threat and those who don't, don't revere him, no. Number 33, the word I dominates his conversations. He's oblivious to how often he speaks to himself. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I really mean I really don't think so myself <laughs> that I do that. Um, hates to be embarrassed or fail publicly. Really acts with rage when he is or she is embarrassed. I find it hilarious when I make a mistake. And uh, I don't mind being embarrassed. I, in fact, I'm very rarely embarrassed. Sometimes it is, but I think it's funny when I uh, make mistakes because it just shows what an idiot I am. Does not feel guilty for anything he has done wrong, nor does he apologize for his actions. Uh, not true. I feel guilt for harming others, especially uh, I feel guilt for harming them when I didn't mean it. When I do mean it, I still feel guilt for that too. Believes he possesses the answers and solutions to world problems, number 36. This is going to sound bad. <laughs> but in the religious world of Christianity, I do. I do. Uh, not solely. You know, many other people have other solutions too. I am convinced that we hold some solutions that will someday be of great value to the Christian faith. And I do not think I created them. I'm not the originator, but I do think that the amalgamation of them and the synthesis of them will be greatly beneficial to the world. I do believe that. So one big fat point. Uh, believes himself to be a deity or a chosen representative of a deity. Not at all. I'm the antithesis to the Lord. I am the worst of the worst, saved by the best of the best. Always has been. Uh, rigid, unbending, insensitive describes how I think. Not rigid or unbending, but I have been described as insensitive. Try not to be, not taking a point. Tries to control others in what they do, read, think, or uh, view. Uh, never, ever, ever. Uh, in fact, I'm the opposite. I let people who I shouldn't view things that they probably shouldn't. So I'm too liberal in that way. Like my grandsons, I was going to show them a movie. My daughter about flipped her wig when I uh, said I wanted to see The Dark Knight. And uh, 
So, has isolated members of his sect from contact with their family or outside world, never, ever, ever. Monitors or restricts contact with family and outsiders, never, ever, ever. Works the least but demands the most. Uh, I don't think so at all. I labor very hard and I don't demand anyone to labor unless they want to. Has stated that he is destined for greatness or that he might be martyred. Uh, I wondered if I would be killed when I was going after the LDS in the state. That is true. Uh, and destined for greatness in the Christian world means destined for suffering. I do think we are, all people are destined for greatness in the Christian world if they're willing to suffer. So a point for that. And seems to be highly dependent of tribute and adoration and will fish for compliments. No. Uh, uses enforcers or sycophants to ensure compliance from members or believers no sees himself as unstoppable perhaps has even said so uh yeah i don't think any man or woman on earth can stop uh, what i'm doing and unless god is behind it if god's behind it it will stop dead in its tracks without any say so from me at all but a man or woman who thinks they can stop it through their ways they haven't been able to do it they'll never be able to do it only god will be able to do it conceals background of family that will disclose how plain and ordinary he is. Meaning, I don't let you know who my family is because they'll say, he's just a knob. Uh, <laughs> no concealment. Go talk to my family. Uh, doesn't think there's anything wrong with himself. Absolutely wrong. Has taken away the freedom to uh, travel, pursue life, and the liberty of the followers. Uh, no, only of defenseless pets, um, but no, I believe in liberty in Christ and people should have the freedom to do whatever they want, including not come to church if they don't want to, ever. They can watch it online. They can never watch it. You are free in Christ. Finally, number 50, has isolated the group physically. That means moved campus out to the backwoods of, of the Wasatch Mountain. No, we remain in a public place. And so the score at the end is... 40 no's, 10 yeses of 50 questions. That's an 80% of me not being a cult leader and a 20% of me being a cult leader. But I want to point something out. The yeses all point to personal character flaws that most of us have, and none of them relate to what I impose upon others. They just relate to character flaws that I possess. Really quickly, sees himself as unstoppable. I've said that only uh, stoppable by God. Has, thinks he's destined for greatness, could be martyred. I explained that. Believes he possesses the answers or problems of the solution of the world. That's cult-like. I mean, you got to admit it's cult-like. But we all hope to have that in some way or another. And, you know, if you're a musician, you hope to have a song that will revolutionize the world. And so that's it has a certain coldness or aloofness that makes uh, others worry that they don't know him. I explained that. Treats others with contempt or arrogance. Uh, guilty of that, but only people who are arrogant, not the broken, is hypersensitive to how he's seen, is imperious at times, not wishing to know what others desire or think, has an exaggerated sense of entitlement that allows him to break the laws. These are all character flaws I've had since I was a kid. Uh, it has a sense of entitlement only when I fly on JetBlue, and it has a grandiose idea of who he is and what he can achieve. Not grandiose, but I do think I am, what I'm supposed to do is a, a good thing. So 
really quickly, note the tenor of the, quickly of the descriptions, I'm not going to read them all, of what a cult leader is really about. Um, demands blind, unquestioned obedience. Requires excessive a- a- admiration. Is exploits others for their finances. Takes sexual advantage of members in the sector cult. Sex is required with adults and sub-adults as a rite of passage. Publicly devalues others as inferior and incapable. Makes people confess their sins and faults publicly to humiliate them. Ignores the needs of others, biological, physical, emotional, and financial needs. Uh, needs to be the center of attention and do things through his exotic clothing, overdramatic speech. Is, has insisted in always having the best of everything, jewelry, cars, while other people are relegated to lesser amenities, doesn't listen well to the needs of others, uh, is controlling in this part of his personality, behaves as though people are objects to be exploited. When criticized, lashes out with rage. Anyone who criticizes or questions is an enemy refers to non-members and non-believers as the enemy, believes he's omnipotent, has magical answers, is superficially charming. That one I have to fight because you can prey upon that if you want. Habitually puts down others as inferior, treats people with contempt, uh, hates to be embarrassed and goes into a rage when is embarrassed publicly, um, believes himself to be a deity or the representative of a deity. I don't think I'm a representative of, of Jesus. I don't think I'm a representative of God. I think that I have something to do under their care, but I don't represent them at all. I'm just, you know, just like everybody else, rigid, unbending. It goes on and on, works the least, demands the most, and uh, isolates the group and and keeps family members away, all that stuff. There are finally uh, 10 things that are the sign of a healthy leader or group. These are the 10 that the psychologists come up with. A safe group leader will answer questions without becoming judgmental and punishing. Uh, We do that at the end of every single uh, gathering we have on campus. I've yet to see a pastor who will take the questions from this congregation. And uh, it's not that I'm good. You have to do that so that people can feel free and they can feel like their questions are valid and there's a purpose and that they have a say in their faith. Uh, Number two, a safe group leader will disclose information about finances and offer an independently audited financial statement regarding budget and expenses. Safe groups and leaders will tell you more than you want to know. I'm an open book. I've told people what my annual income is. You want to see, talk to Derek. He runs the books. I don't. He'll tell you whatever you want to know. There's nothing hidden. There's not much to talk about, to tell you the truth. Number three, a safe group leader is often democratic, sharing decisions, making and encouraging accountability and oversight. Uh, The only thing I decide here is that we are going to teach the word verse by verse and how the shows run. What people use the building for, who uses it, when they use it, how they use it is up to them. And all that other stuff, anything that wants to be done by a group, they can do it. A safe group leader may have disgruntled former followers, but does not vilify, excommunicate, or forbid them for uh, associating with the group. I welcome my enemies to this place. I tell them to come on Thursday night Bible studies. They're welcome. I have a guy who I actually had to warn here because of physical violence that I still welcome to come if he can control himself. I mean, it's not a closed system. 
We want people to feel that even though if they disagree with me, they are welcome to come. They usually don't, but they're more than welcome. Uh, a safe group leader will not have a paper trail. I'm so angry at that! <laughs> uh, of overwhelming negative records, books, articles, statements about them. I actually have quite a few, but they're not from people who have attended campus. They're usually from people who have never really attended and just don't like me. A safe group leader will encourage family communication, community interaction, and existing friendships and not feel threatened. I think we do. Will recognize reasonable boundaries and limitations when dealing with others. The key word's reasonable. This is a criticism that I've had as I sit with single women or married women in uh, restaurants and talk to them. Uh, uh, but I, if I can sit with a homosexual in a, in a restaurant and talk to him, then I can sit with a married or a single woman too. I, that's one thing I've never made a big deal of, and that could be criticized. Um, a safe leader will encourage critical thinking, individual autonomy, and feelings of self-esteem. Uh, definitely critical thinking. And uh, a safe group leader will admit failings and mistakes and accept advice. Uh, I'm not so great on the advice sometimes. I admit that, but you know it's hard to take criticism. But I'll accept my failings and I'll admit to them publicly. And finally, a safe group leader will not be the only source of knowledge and learning, excluding everyone else, but value dialogue and free exchange of ideas. And we've already talked about that. Why go to all this time and trouble to defend myself from this accusation? Uh, first, because the accusation is cheap and it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And it doesn't hold up to scrutiny in the areas that are important when you're talking about leading a group. Yeah, anyone can say that, you know, I have arrogance or things like that, but it doesn't flow over to how I treat people when they come to campus or to our shows. Secondly, it's really important for me to let you understand that our approach works better than uh, any other in resisting cultic control and totalistic methodologies that are in place in other churches. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand by that. You can call me a cult leader, but I'm telling you, if you come and just examine and spend a year with us or a day with us, you will see, and I guess maybe cult leaders say this, but you're always welcome to test it because we have in place methodologies that resist cultic behavior. And that is called subjective Christianity. That's called not collecting tithes. That's called showing up when you want, not having membership, not having dress codes. It's called complete liberty in Christ. When you have that, the tendency to be a controlling, if not a cult leader, just a controlling pastor is eliminated. And so I still maintain that we've created the best approach to the faith. It's the best approach to the faith. And because it resists what happens in a lot of these churches when it comes to the imperious pastor passing down decisions on what to think, what to eat, what to wear, what to pay. <coughs> so, finally, it's important that the deck be cleared on this matter before our announcement next week, uh, which, again, we believe will be the single most important announcement we're ever going to make. And so in wrapping up the show tonight, I want to invite you to not only tune in yourself, but share the fact that it's coming. Ask your friends, ask your Christian uh, brothers or sisters, your LDS family or friends, ask people you know, forward it along to tune in next Tuesday night, 
October 30th, one year after we started Heart of the Matter 2.0, for the most important announcement that we have ever made. I think uh, everything that we have done has led up to this announcement. And that has been a, a number of years of doing things uh, on behalf of the Lord. Failing sometimes, having success sometimes, but in the end, this is going to be so vitally important. Tune in next week here on Heart of the Matter.